0: Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series and podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Diliman abdul Qadr, the president of the American Friends for Kurdistan of Kurdistan, uh, an independent advocacy and education organization working to advance U.S.-Kurdish relations. Join us to discuss Finding Peace and Stability for the Kurds. Mr. Abdul-Khattir will speak for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Diliman Abdul-Khattir.
1: Thank you for having me, and thank you to the Middle East Forum for this uh, very timely uh, discussion. I'm just going to talk about what the latest developments in Turkey and Iran in regards to the Kurds. Um, and how that affects uh, at the end how that affects the Kurdistan region, which is centered in between both these countries. And regarding to Turkey, uh, listen, we can start back from the uh, the bombing in Istanbul, uh, which happened mid November, uh, if you recall, which killed uh, a number of people injuring over 80 uh, with 80 wounded and Directly after the bombing, the Turkish government under the Erdogan regime uh, blamed the Kurdish people and the so and the PKK for the uh, the bombing in Istanbul. Um, but you know this may have been a false flag operation. Uh, if you look back at Turkey's history, they have a uh, you know they're known to blame the Kurds and pull the Kurdish card in order to incite violence between Turks and Kurds, but also. Uh, allows for the turkish government to uh you know falsely uh, target the kurds uh, in regards to military operation uh you know the what's going on within turkey today with the the worsening economic situation with the uh, upcoming elections uh in uh, june 2023 and you know the the continuous jailing of uh opposition uh politicians and uh, political uh political affiliates and journalists um, this allows, blaming the Kurds, allows Erdogan to shift the blame directly and distract the population uh, of the continuous worsening situation inside Turkey. Um, and, you know, directly after the Istanbul bombings, the Erdogan regime conducted an air campaign in northeast Syria, as uh, you may all are be aware of is that you know the the air campaign uh killed about 11 people including journalists northeast syria is known to be uh one of the most stable regions of syria altogether it, it's it's about 34% of syrian territory which holds about 40% of syrian citizens and controlling over 80% of syria's uh resources which also includes uh, not only Kurds but Arabs, Armenians, Christians, Muslims in that part of the region. Um, you know, Erdogan is threatening to destabilize this. Uh, he is against a a part of Syria that is controlled by the Kurds, and I think this was motive uh, for him to blame the Kurds with the Istanbul bombings. Um, you know, and Northeast Syria also holds uh, is state is uh, positions. 900 US service members as well. And this threatens their their lives and uh, security uh, there as well. And, you know, Turkey is a NATO member. However, we know that Turkey is not behaving like so. The, uh, you know, the Turkish goal inside uh, Northeast Syria, and, you know, inside Turkey as well, uh, is to literally just go after the Kurds, is to uh, tackle their, uh, target their uh, identity. Is to uh, uh, end the Kurdish, uh, the Kurdish government that, and the Kurdish Arab uh, coalition government that is controlled in northeast Syria. And in order to do this, he requires a military operation. And the Istanbul bombing uh, is a perfect excuse for the Erdogan regime to conduct this. And you know, if you recall the 2019 invasion of northeast Syria, which was greenlighted by the previous uh, U.S. administration, Erdogan targeted and invaded Northeast Syria 30 kilometers deep into the region but he failed to uh he failed to occupy uh kobani the town of kobani which is uh you know which is which is known for the you know the defeat and the, the resistance against Isis in 2014 and which led the United States to support to support the the Kurds there uh and the town of kobani is very symbolic for the Kurds but the town of Kobane is also the bridge that prevents the two territories that are controlled by, by the Erdogan regime uh, inside Turkey, uh, uh, bordering along the Turkish border. And that middle part uh, in Kobane uh, prevents Erdogan from connecting the territories he occupies. Because if we look at Turkey's history, we know what Turkey wants to do. We know that what the Erdogan regime wants to do is to basically invade, occupy, and eventually annex and include it, and to be included part of Turkish territory. He'll just normalize uh, and, uh, you know, Turkify uh, the region as he has done in northeast Syria along the border, but also in northwest Syria in Afrin, which is 95 percent, happens to be 95 percent Kurdish. And all this is you know spilling over into Iraqi Kurdistan as well because Erdogan says he is not against all Kurds he's only against the PKK but the Kurds in Iraq are not PKK he's bombing civilian and uh civilian uh civilian areas inside the Kurdistan region which is which is an internationally autonomous region and Erdogan is not stopping his military operations and going against not only NATO's uh, principles, but against the United States' uh, position uh, in the region, which they're there to fight uh, ISIS to defeat uh, Daesh, and Erdogan is halting these uh, these uh, military operations against ISIS simply because he wants to go after the Kurds. And with that being said, regarding the uh, with the Turkish regime, I'll uh, I'll go into what's going on in Iran in regards to the Kurds. Um, you know, four months since the protests in Iran uh, with, the, uh, with the killing of Gina Amini. Uh, Gina is a, is a Kurdish woman that was killed by the Iranian regime which sparked the protests that are happening now uh, that continue to be, to happen today and what the Iranian regime has done is similarly to the Turkish regime has shifted the blame of the protest and, and has attempted to make this about the Kurds, specifically about the Kurds. The Kurdish population in northwest Iran uh, numbers about 12 to, 15, 000, 12 to 15 million and the Kurds have a number of factions of armed groups as well that are not only based in uh, northwest Iran, but also Iraqi Kurdistan as well. And, but what the unique thing is, is that the, the regime has tried to sh- derail the protests and blame the Kurds by, by Targeting Kurdish cities by cutting the electricity to uh, Kurdish regions in the northwest, by imprisoning Kurdish protesters, by beating them, by even executing them. So they continue to ex- execute the Kurds uh, uh, even after the death of Gina Amini. And you know, the regime is trying to do ultimately. Their goal there is that, you know, hey, we're all Iranians. The Kurds are trying to separate from Iran. Uh, they're calling the Kurds, uh, you know, separatists, and you know, you know, because they want an independent state and whatnot. So this is the same mentality, as we see with the Iranian regime, with the uh, Turkish regime, is that blame the Kurds, pull out the Kurdish card, and it's uh, and somehow will bring all whether it be Turkish with Turkey and or Iranian uh, with the, within Iran will bring all of our uh, those who are protesting against our uh, regime and shift that blame on the Kurds. The Kurds are, however, facing, you know, they're in a difficult position because they're not only facing backlash from the regime in regards to having the protest being blamed on them, but also from the Iranian protesters themselves because the Kurds don't identify as Iranian. Um, The Kurds are Kurds. Their language is Kurdish. They don't speak Farsi. They have a distinct culture, history, uh, dress, you name it. And of course, the Kurds, as you know, with the Kurds in the rest of the region, want autonomy and want eventually an independent state, as is their right. However, the uh, they're facing they're also facing backlash from the Iranian processions themselves. Uh, you'll see that in protests inside Iran. You'll see that protests abroad, whether in Europe or the United States, where Kurds are being targeted by the Iranian uh, protesters, who are them themselves are against the regime. And the Kurds, you know, naturally will ask if the regime does fall, the Islamic regime in Iran, how will you be different? Because the Kurds, the Kurdish experience with the Shah's regime previously, before the uh, Islamic regime, was no was not much different. Kurds were being executed left and right under the Shah regime, and the Kurds continue to see, uh, you know, you know these. these habits, these, uh, these, op- these policies of uh, of targeting of Kurds because of their identity. And you know, to this day, it's still sort of taboo to say that Gina Amini was Kurdish by Iranian protesters. So that's kind of another issue that the Kurds are facing is not only the regime, but also uh, the, the protesters who are supposedly supposed to be on the side of the Kur- of the Kurds as well, because the Kurds are also protesting the regime alongside the Iranian protesters. Um, so I think this puts the the Kurds in a much difficult position. It just shows that they don't have many allies in the region. And you know the Kurds the Kurdish factions are are armed, uh, but they're not influencing the protests as the re- regime likes to you know likes people to think so. Uh, the the most majority of the armed factions are based in Iraqi Kurdistan, which have, you know, com- conducted peaceful, uh, peaceful deals with the government in order for the Kurdish government in Iraq to have better relationships with its neighbor, Iran, uh, naturally so. And I think the, and, you know, similarly to the Turkish regime, the Iranian regime has threatened a ground invasion and a military operation in, uh, in Iraq, in the Kurdistan region. So now you have the Kurdistan region, which has has the most stability, which has which is the only part of Kurdistan which has uh, autonomy, is being threatened from both Turkey and Iran. And you know the you know the the United States is 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 uh, based in uh, in the in the Kurdish region. We have a we have a consulate there. We have military personnel there. Many foreign consulates are based in uh, Kurdistan region. But the Iranian regime sees the, the the KRG, the Kurdistan regional government, as aiding and assisting the Kurdish opposition groups who are uh who have taken uh you know who have taken uh who have sought safety in, in that part of their uh part of Iraq. So I think the important thing for us to uh you know to to realize is that for the United States, you cannot you, know, you cannot abandon the Kurds at this at this moment. Uh, the Kurds have a history of being abandoned and betrayed by the United States. I think this is an opportunity in regards to Turkey for the United States to hold its NATO ally, Turkey, accountable. Just because Turkey is a NATO ally, it does not give it permission to conduct military operations and the healthy fight against ISIS. Uh, against, uh, you know, just to go after the Kurds. And similarly, with the Iranian regime, the United States should not, uh, you know, sacrifice the protest, uh, you know, just because they want to conduct uh, JCPOA talks uh, with the regime. That's not not a a good trade, if you look at it from any perspective. And, you know, the Biden administration should not repeat the mistakes of the Obama administration in ignoring the protests similarly to to what the Obama administration did in uh, 2009 with the Green Revolution in Iran. So I think there's an opportunity here for the United States to hold uh, Turkey accountable, implement sanctions, because we know sanctions work against Turkey. Turkey's attitude and uh, Erdogan's attitude will change. And we also know that the JCPOA talks is not enough. It should not continue. If the protests are demanding that uh, for it to you know the protests themselves the protesters themselves are demanding for it to stop, so I think uh, this is a uh, this is a huge opportunity for the United States to show where it stands in the region and if it does really support uh, the, the the people who are being targeted by these authoritarian regimes. And I'll stop right there. I'll be happy to answer any questions.
0: All right, wonderful. Thank you so much. So the first, actually, we have two questions similar. David Levine and Barry Werner both want to know, uh, what role, if any, do you see for Israel in assisting the Kurds in their struggle?
1: You know, Israel is, has always been a supporter of the Jewish people and uh, the people of Israel have always been a supporter of the Kurds. Uh, we, I mean, if you recall back in 2017, when the Kurds held, Kurds in Iraq held their independence referendum, which passed uh Overwhelmingly by ninety three percent, Israel was the only country in the world to recognize the results of the referendum and to recognize the, the a Kurdish state. Um, with that being said, I think you know the position the Kurds are, are in geographically makes it difficult for the Kurds to, you know, any Kurdish government or any Kurdish political party or armed group to uh, come out in public and say we want Israel support, simply because Turkey, regardless of the, uh, you know, economic partnerships with Israel, it has, it's not very friendly to to Jewish people and uh, Israel. That's the reality. And we know where the Islamic regime stands in this as well. Um, So I think in the Kurds, you know, unfortunately, the support from Israel is a double-edged sword, uh, I would label it as, just because it's difficult with their position, and they're stateless. They don't have a uh, military or air force that can, uh, you know, that can withstand the threats coming if they said we want Israel support tomorrow.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, so are there any allies in the area for, for the Kurds?
1: The Kurds have, you know, the Kurds rely on the United States. The Kurds rely on uh, you know, the, the European powers to, uh, to train them, uh, you know, to train the Peshmerga forces to prof- to professionalize their, their army. Uh, in the in Syria, the Kurds rely on the United States and Germany and France. Um, you know, as far as regional allies, uh, not really. The Assad regime c- continues to not recognize the Kurds and, you know, the, you know, what they've accomplished. And he continues to threaten that he wants, uh, you know, the rest of Syria back. Uh, including the Kurdish regions and he's not interested in peace talks with the Kurds at, at all. Turkey, we cannot look to Turkey. He's targeting the Kurds uh, within Turkey, but also you know the Kurds in Iraq and in Syria, similarly to Iran. Uh, the Kurds have, uh, you know in Syria and to a certain degree in uh, Iraq as well, um, have uh, conducted uh, peaceful relations with locals um, with the different religious groups. Uh, you know, with the different uh, ethnicities uh, within these countries. And that's what makes, for example, Northeast Syria successful is the the stability they have created among not only Kurds themselves, but the Arabs, the uh, you know the, the the Christians, the Armenians, the uh, the Muslims there. So I think that's what Erdogan is also ultimately afraid of, is that the stability the Kurds have created can lead to another autonomous Kurdish region similarly to Iraqi Kurdistan.
0: Thank you. Now you, you did mention um, the, that the US. should not abandon the, the Kurdish people, but are the Kurdish people uh, nervous about that happening, especially what happened in Afghanistan?
1: Definitely. I think that's the, the the biggest fear is that the United States can, of course we understand the US has no appetite for uh, you know US presence and US boots on the ground. But the Kurds are not asking the United States to fight for them. The Kurds are not asking U.S. soldiers to uh, do the dirty work. Um, the Kurds are all they're asking for is uh, the U.S. presence on the ground with the wave, with the flags waving, and that is symbolic enough to push back a NATO ally that is, you know, allied with Turkey with the United States, like Turkey, um, and that will prevent, for example, Iran from continuing missile strikes and conducting. Uh, bombings in uh, in Kurdish regions, because they know these governments and these regimes know that there will be responses from the United States if they are threatened. If the U.S. U.S. personnel are threatened, and you know the the Kurds are reliable, the Kurds are have conducted successful military operations uh, alongside U.S. military uh, members. Uh, you know, the, the number of ISIS leaders who have been killed or captured. Majority is in, is because of the Kurds, is the intelligence gathering from the Kurds in Iraq and the Kurds in Syria. So I think that's critical. Uh, the, you know, staying and uh, being alongside the Kurds in the region is an investment for the United States in regards to in, intelligence and security and stability.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so can you just talk a little bit about what peace and stability would look like for the Kurds uh, in regards to Turkey, in regards to Iran, and, and just in general as well?
1: Right, you know, with in regards to Turkey, I think the, United, the, the Turkish government cannot solve the Kurdish question inside Turkey with military operations. They've tried to do this for over four decades, since the late 70s, since 84. Uh, with the founding of the PKK, and it's not been successful. It's been taken the lives of over 40,000 uh, individuals on both sides. I think this is not the solution. The solution is peaceful dialogue. Uh, you know, it's for the Turkish government, unfortunately, it's easy to wage peace, but it's not very interested in waging. It's easy to wage war. It's not very interested in waging peace. And I think we've seen that with the countless uh, uh, military operations happening both in, in Southeast Turkey where the Kurds are... Uh, Located and also in northeast Syria and in, in, in Iraqi Kurdistan to a certain extent on a daily basis. So I think, in order for the Kurds to find peace and stability, the Turkish government they have the leverage, they have the upper hand. If they're interested in peace, they can make peace t- tomorrow because the Kurds for uh, many times have called for peace. They've called for, for dialogue with the Erdogan government, um, but this is not happening, and uh, you know for and I think it's it's not in the interest of Turkey. I think uh, they don't see because what does peace look like for uh, you know having peace with the Kurds? That means you can no longer pull the uh, Kurdish card. That means you can no longer, when you're losing in elections or when your economy is deteriorating, you can no longer uh, conduct military strikes where it brings the population together. And I think that would be a huge loss for a authoritarian uh, government like Erdogan's. And you know, similarly to Iran, uh, I think. they're against any kind of autonomous region like Turkey. They fear an autonomous region like the KRG um, for the Kurds in Iran. Um, So I think that's where the United States can play a role, is that having talks such as like the JCPOA must include human rights violations as well. It shouldn't be just simply based on uh, you know, the nuclear talks. It should be missile strikes. It should be drone strikes. It should be uh, uh, human rights violations. It should be uh, hanging in public of Kurds, of uh, dissidents. Uh, Iran is not just made up of Iranians. You know, We have Kurds. We have Ahwazi Arabs. We have Balochis. We have Azeris who are also protesting against the regime. And I think this is important for the United States to realize, too.
0: Thank you. Roger Meyer asks, the Kurds lost to the colonial powers after World War 1. Is there any feasible strategy going forward to give the Kurds what they lost in the 1920s?
1: Great question. You no, know, the Kurds were promised a state after World War 1, it was denied and never happened, and I think what what is happening, all the developments on the ground that are happening is a result of that. We're still paying for that. And the Kurds number 45 to 50 million without a state. Um I think you know the this there's there's two factors to this uh the first is internal the kurds have to be united uh you know across all parts of the all parts of what they call kurdistan um the kurds have to uh, have a united force a central command a large uh, you know a, a major reason why the referendum ended up being a failure in 2017 was because the kurds didn't have a central command uh, their Peshmerga forces were threatened they were divided uh you know when Kirkuk was uh invaded you know part of the forces uh, fled in 2017 when the Shiites came into the north and took over uh, so I think that's uh, that's a major reason that the Kurds don't see that unity is key and second is that you know they have to translate the military the military successes on the ground that they've had against Isis and you know their uh, their enemies their adversaries who in most of the time the Kurds are fighting alongside the United States when they're fighting these uh, organizations. They have to translate these military successes into, uh, in, into political uh, achievements. What that means is better translating these successes, these military operations, explaining it to members of Congress, explaining it to the administration, because that's what the Kurds are lacking. And that's why, you know, I've created AFK, American Friends of Kurdistan, is to do this, uh, you know, put the Kurdish issue on the table. We're not, you know, we're not, we don't have access to the president like Turkey does. We don't have access to, uh, you know, like Iran does or whatnot. Um, The Kurds are stateless. They don't have access to these large international bodies. So they have to take all the whatever successes they have and translate them into political achievements. And I think um, if they conduct these two uh, accurately and, you know, precisely, I think they have, you know, it's very possible to create an independent Kurdistan.
0: Thank you. Uh, Robert Larick asks, uh, as voting members in the UN for, uh, for human universal human rights, supposedly, then don't these states have a responsibility to recognize independent regions or states with human rights within?
1: They do, but also simply, I mean, Turkey is a perfect example because it hides behind the NATO security block you know, the the principles of NATO says democracy. Turkey is not democratic. Uh, you know, it's, it allows it for, you know, it allows uh, countries like the United States or, you know, countries in the European Union to look the other way, because Tur- Turkey is simply a NATO partner. And if you look at it from a U.S. perspective, sure, it's not in the interests, you know, because, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and the, the Russian uh, threat and the growing Russian concern in China. Um, it's not a in the US, in the interest of the U.S. to kind of you know d- divide further, further divide NATO um, than Turkey already has by sidelining Turkey and or removing Turkey. Um, but if we're up to, if we're to uphold you know the Human Rights Convention and you know the, what the principles of uh, the United Nations and whatnot, absolutely, I think we have to look outside of NATO and all these. Uh, bilateral partnerships and whatnot, and look at the region for what it is, look at uh, the reality, and accept that, you know, who your partners are and who are against. Um, I think Turkey has uh, moved beyond the United States to a certain degree. Turkey has shifted east, and Turkey has, Turkey's foreign policy has, uh, you know, has, has shifted dramatically since the 90s. But the United States continues to look at the Middle East as it was in the '90s, and I think this is uh, this is not uh, rational. Uh, the United States has more friends than it, it than a, you know than it thinks it does in the region, but only if it uh, looks at it from a realistic point of view.
0: Yes, we have uh, delved into that topic quite a few times. Um... All right, so before we go, can you tell us a little bit more about the where we can find some more of your work and specifically the American Friends of Kurdistan.
1: Yes, please uh, visit American friends of Kurdistan.org. You know, we're active here in Washington on Capitol Hill. We work directly with members of Congress, educating them, uh, you know, uh, on these issues as they happen. And we try to uh, prevent the conflicts before they happen. We're trying to, uh, you know, ensure that they understand the situation and explain why safety in Turkey is important. Why preventing this, uh, why preventing arms sales to Turkey or, uh, you know, whatever, whoever it may be is against, uh, you know, uh, our United States uh, national security interests. And also I'm very active on Twitter as well. Uh, find me there and i uh, you know, uh, I'm very active. So it's, a lot is going on. So I just encourage you to also, you know, if I were to, give a message to the audiences, reach out to your members of Congress and educate them on these issues that are going on because we are constituents and they they will eventually listen to us. It'll make our jobs easier on the Hill as well.
0: All right, well, thank you so much. We've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Thank you again, Mr. Qadr, for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: (laughs) Who For our viewers, please be on the lookout for our weekly webinars offering email coming out over the weekend. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.